On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we do our postmortem on the Super Bowl where we get Kevin Cole on to talk through every painstaking decision made by the coaches in this game. And then uh, we do a couple golf picks and we try to get Rufus out for his dinner at 5.30 with the octogenarian. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast, bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a out with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to the post-Super Bowl episode of the Bet the Process podcast, where my podcast partner, the self-proclaimed king of the props, Rufus Peabody, gets to take a victory lap. Rufus, how did you do in the Super Bowl? You know, if you told me there were 73 points scored and that I would return 16%, I would not have believed it. 16% on like what you had, like 2,000 in volume, so you made what, $320? Congratulations. Something like that. Um, was, I have to take a mini victory. Yeah, you, you had a, you had a higher ROI though. I just, I mean, oh, like you're including, I, you're including your chief's futures in your ROI. I'm not true, including that. True, of course. Of course. But chief's like, futures, yeah, I'd certainly add to it. it. The ROI is great, but like the, the fact that you made, I don't know, five times what I made is probably more important. Um, the, the interesting thing about my Super Bowl analysis was like, I just kind of had everything nailed which was like kind of like very, very like, it felt really good, right? Like I, I knew I had Kansas City to win. I had a lot of points being scored. A lot of the things that you talked about too, you had nailed too, right? The sacks. Sacks. The sacks thing. I feel like I, I was, I was and, on and, that. And thank and, God that we got down a ton on that stuff. Cause you know, well, you I, know I, and, I, and we I even, I even went on Chris like right before the game and the, the chiefs were still available at plus money to have, like more sacks than you know like you you didn't move that you moved it a lot no, it was plus 139 when we were recording before so that moved yeah. a ton it, it got like, down to I plus one difference i didn't have the difference that big between the two teams but well i expected it to get closer to even i guess or i guess one plus 110 is even plus so. 110 is pretty close pretty, to even. pretty close to even yeah no it's fine i'm an idiot um what I'll was the what, prop bet good sorry what was the prop bet I lost some pretty good cool ones too. I, I laid minus 500, 25 grand to win five grand on the Caesars William Hill app, which is still down in Nevada. I don't know if you know this. Like so maybe you'll never lose that money. Well, yeah, but I'm not going to get any of my money back if the app stays down because um, I already gave them the money. That's how it works with oh, not wait, credit yeah. books. But I bet 25,000 to win 5,000 that both teams wouldn't have exactly one yard touchdowns. That's funny. Do you, yeah. were you, you should argue that and say like, were they exactly one yard? Did Ooh, you no, measure it zero point measure? eight yards, right? Because like they probably weren't exactly one yard each, right? You, they Some, somehow, you know, I don't think the Nevada Gaming Commission would side with me there. Well, maybe you need to make some friends there, and they'll maybe listen Official to official box score says one yard. Got it. But there, there was. Um, I mean, look, there was a two point conversion attempted, converted. There was a defensive special teams touchdown. Like all the things that should have made it a bad Super Bowl, but um, and then of course, Hertz goes over and rushing. Hertz has a rushing touchdown, many rushing touchdowns. Kelsey gets a touchdown in the first drive, and you know, 
the thing is, we didn't actually end up with massive positions on any of that because there wasn't the same level of public money coming in and driving those prices up that I really expected on game day. We were kind of just waiting for it to get better and it, and it kind of never did. In a way, the best prices were like the where we're Saturday night. I think some sharps kind of jumped on it earlier and then and, and took it de- like back down. And, and so I think there was a little bit of a game theory going on. If everybody's expecting things to get bet up and then they take the under late, somebody takes that under first. It's almost like somebody betting into an opener. Have you donated to my charity yet? No, I will. I won the charity. I will. Okay. Congratulations, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks. You know, I did really well in that competition also. Yeah, I, need did you? I, I don't remember what my bets were actually. Well, I had, I had Jalen Hurts first to score in that, which was plus 700 something. And then I also had a $300 bet out of my thousand on a chief's money line and over parlay. So that was a, that was, you know, 900. So I had those two. And then I had like chiefs to score last. And I had like Mahomes to go over 19 and a half yards and things like that. So you like this was, one. You, I had, you, J- I had Jalen hurts 301 to 320 passing yards at 16 to one for $2,000 at Westgate. And you know, that was my that. big index prop. I hit what you nailed yeah. that. Yeah. Like three or four. I was a few um, away from some other indexes. I didn't hit my, my Pacheco 51 to 60 didn't win. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought you nailed that. And then I realized he had 75 yards. I, yeah. I had Pacheco overs and Pacheco versus Sanders and oh. Sanders unders. And so I was, I just kind of, I was all over the Pacheco unders for receiving. That was, he, I mean, he didn't, there were he two was positions under receiving on Sunday right? morning that we were like, okay, we need to stop betting this. Cause we have like 50 grand in these props and they were Pacheco under receiving and Tony under receiving. Got it. So um, I cost us money by not having us continue to bet them. And then by going and betting against one yard touchdowns, I also bet that I laid my, I laid minus 1600 that there wouldn't be a fourth or a third or fourth down conversion of 25 plus yards. Not, not meaning like a 25 plus yard play on third or fourth down, but meaning like converting third and 25 or more. Right. And there and, wasn't right. Right. No, there wasn't. And I'll tell you, I think maybe the best ROI for any bet was DraftKings had a bet. Will there be a flea flicker? And no was minus 270. I feel like flea flickers are maybe there's been like five this season. Yeah, but they probably had a very loose definition of what a flea flicker was. It probably was any like pass back to a quarterback where a quarterback threw. Right. If the running back hands it, they hand it to someone who gets it back to the quarterback. That's a flea no, flicker. No, but what do you, what is a double pass isn't a flea flicker? Now, the play by play on NFL.com, actually, the official play by play uses the it word flea, flea flicker. flicker now. Yeah. Not a syntax. At least it's in, in, in my data, it is. Um, cool. All right. Well, we yeah. should welcome in Kevin Cole right now to um, talk through some of the decisions that were made in this game. And then we'll talk to you guys all again on the other side. We now welcome in Kevin Cole, who you've been on this podcast before, right? I believe I have been one time before. Yes. Did you did you pretend you were Jack Buck then? Because you look like. Does anyone tell you you look like Jack Buck? You kind of look. Joe like Buck, Jack yes. Joe um, Buck, or maybe, Jack maybe is, Joe Buck. Jack Buck. Well, I've, I've gone through transitions throughout my life. I've gone through um, Macaulay Culkin at one point was was one thing. Um, Steve Sanders nine hundred two one zero. That was a big one. Uh, during one era and yeah it's transitioned into into joe buck in recent years which i don't know if i should be insulted or 
um, okay with that? I guess I'll let you guys decide. I think you should be okay with that. That dude is like, people really like him now a lot. Like he he's really risen from the ashes like a phoenix. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why we have you as the most popular suggestion for who we should talk to about this sort of uh, Super Bowl in-game analytics decisions, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I mean, a little bit about myself. I mean, I was doing mostly finance type of work, either equity or bond analysis for most of my life. Um, quantitative bent to that, uh, got into doing sports or football, mostly, almost exclusively analytics through fantasy football, mostly. Um, and then just got more and more into the game strategy type of aspects of football. So I guess I've studied it a lot. And it's not necessarily like there's a course that you can take or there's a book that you can read that's really going to lay out for it. It's just more of a uh, curiosity and that sort of thinking. So I guess maybe that's why people suggest me. And I, I talk about it a lot. So that may have something to do with it. And what are you doing now for your day job? Well, I'm actually have a Substack now. So I'm part of the Substack brethren. Um, I mean, I was with PFF for a while as a senior data scientist. And I've started my own Substack where I do a lot of analysis there, podcasting there, Unexpected Points is the Substack and the podcast, where I try to give some topical stuff on and maybe a smart topical take on what may be going on. But then also, you know, of course, dig into the numbers and do some quantitative analysis on what uh, is happening in the NFL. Got it. So Rufus, do you have any any questions for him before we dive into this? I say let's just dive in. All right, let's just dive in because I had to have you on because I don't know if you know, but Rufus literally didn't watch the Super Bowl after the first two touchdowns. That's, you tell that, that story? that's mostly... Well, yeah, I, when Travis Kelsey scored, I assumed he was already uh, negative at that point for, for, for the entire rest of the Super Bowl. I, I literally thought there was no chance we could be positive after the first two drives. <laughs> I should read. Let me read the quote. Uh, I stopped watching after the first quarter. That I mean, that there, that seems like you didn't watch the Super Bowl after the first quarter. I, I came back in for parts of the second half. All right. Well, whatever. Okay. I was, so I was there for I was there for the fourth quarter. He was he was so upset about the field conditions that he couldn't he couldn't watch the entire rest of the game. It turns out though we had a lot of money bet on unders on sacks of individual players and for the game, and so I, I rose like a phoenix from the ashes. That's the uh, name of this episode, Rising from the Phoenix Like a Phoenix from the Ashes. So you have a model that um, allows us to evaluate in-game decisions, correct? Well, I'm actually cribbing mostly off of the work that's been done by uh, Ben Baldwin and a couple of other gentlemen who do the NFL scraper slash NFL reader slash NFL faster models that they that they come together with. So I'm mostly cribbing off of what they're doing with some adjustments that I do on my own. Got it. And representing those models as such, what goes into what are the factors that go into a model of this type that allows us to evaluate in-game decisions by a coach from a win probability standpoint? Um, I mean, it's going to be, you know, the traditional sort of stuff of down distance, uh, which will 
feed into your probability of conversion? I mean, generally we're talking about your probability of conversion, your win probability, which is based upon um, obviously historical data. If you convert, if you don't convert, there's a range of outcomes in either one of those scenarios. And then looking at whether you're choosing to go for it, to run a play or to kick it or to punt it in these different scenarios. So it's, it's pretty easy if you think about it in that sort of way. What I think is interesting about the whole fourth down conversion sort of uh, topic and discussion is everyone's focused on one part of it, which is whether or not you'll convert and the different metrics that go into it. But it's much more of a black box, honestly, when it comes to what your win probability will be coming out of a conversion or not having a conversion. So the, the, the challenge with this, right, is that these are all team agnostic, right? They have no, they're not measuring the, the, the team's ability to convert. They're not measuring like the overall scoring environment of the game. So theoretically, like some things that could cause this model to be off are like, if it's a super high scoring game where both teams have a very high ability to convert. So would you say, or, or is it fair to say that the numbers that you're suggesting, which are generalized, may be um, not aggressive enough or may not highlight how aggressive a coach should be in going for what we consider to be the riskier decision in a game of this type where there it was very high scoring and the offenses were having a lot of success? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think there's you know, like the general sort of philosophy where you say um, – you know, all models are wrong, but some are useful type of situation. So yeah, it, it's not going to be correct. I think the question is whether or not sticking with the model, sticking with more a respect for what base rates are, is going to end up being better than adjusting your expectations off of what happens with one drive, what happens with two drives, what happens with three drives. I think in this game, there probably were some more sticky factors, which led to more offense. Um, I mentioned the field conditions there, like the field conditions were probably really something that hurt the defense more than it hurt the offense and couldn't be built into a model and maybe was sustainable. But I think the problem is if you, if you left it open to interpretation, whether it be from coaches or observers or other things, more likely than not, they're going to look at what happened in a quarter or two, and they're going to overestimate or, or or have too much of a factor into their future expectations, what has happened the last couple of drives, where in reality, um, there's just so much noise in what happens early on in a game versus what will happen from a predictive standpoint later on in a game. It's the same reason that the analysts on TV aren't good at predicting games, and they're talking about momentum and everything, whereas Jeff and his second half model knows how much predictive power the first half actually has, right, Jeff? I know to a decimal point. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, okay. So then let's, let's kind of go through this and discuss the game. Cause what I loved about this game is that I found it to be a fascinating Petri dish for challenging analytics decisions in many ways. Right. And the most obvious of which are the fourth down decisions. Um, the first one that was sort of an important decision where Andy Reid decided to on fourth and three at the Eagles 24 kick a field goal. Was this the wrong decision? And if so, how, how wrong, I guess, is the question. 
Um, yeah, but by the numbers that I have, it was the wrong decision, but it was not as significant as some people may have thought. I think people have different um, kind of heuristics for whether what their opinions are on a particular fourth down decision. So on a particular side of the field, they're going to go for it. And maybe people have a linear type of view as to what yard line you're on and what decision you should make. But there's this weird, I mean, there it's a little bit of a, of a U-shaped type of curve as far as whether you should go for it or not. If you're far enough out where you can't make a field goal and your, your ability to make a field goal decays rapidly beyond maybe about 45 yards out, then it really ups your ability and chance to, um, to, to go for it in those sort of situations. If you're in the middle where your field goal percentage is really high, but converting does not necessarily lead to a definite touchdown, it's a little bit in between. And that's where this was. Whereas if, you know, if, if this was a fourth down and you were within the 10 yard line, then it'd be a different situation. So it was something where they should have gone for it, but it was not nearly as much as it would have been if they were 10 yards further away from the end zone th than they actually were. How much win probability would you say it cost the Chiefs? Uh, between one and two percent on this one. So it's one where it's it's significant, but not um, not like a must go type of situation. There there probably could be um, circumstances that would lead you to not want to do it. Although with Patrick Mahomes and with all that stuff, it, it's kind of hard to to figure out what those would be in those circumstances. So that it's interesting though, because again, like to me, this seemed like not on the margin because, and again, like I'm just talking as like a sports fan, not as an analytics, analytics guy who studied these numbers. I'm just saying like, this is a, a situation where field goals are somewhat of a failure and, you know, being able to continue to push and score touchdowns is like the key to this game. So wasn't this the first I quarter, Jeff? What's that? Wasn't this the first quarter? It was. It was the first quarter. Are you looking back and saying this ended up being a shootout? Of course, that they should have gone for it. Or at the time, I, were you like, "This I, is a"? I don't know if you remember, but I really liked the over in this game. I thought this was going to be a very high-scoring game, and certainly the the way that things opened up, it seemed like at this point it was what seven-seven, and yeah, I guess Kansas City had stopped Philly once already. Um, so maybe you could think like, oh, field goals were going to matter, but it, it seemed to me that that wasn't the case. Well, we let, let's move on. Cause I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of, well, no, here, here's what I'll thing. say about it. I don't think it was a decision on the margins. I'm just trying to like put it within perspective. I'm saying if it was, if it was fourth and three from the 34 yard line, from the 44 yard line, those would have actually been better go for it decisions, more obvious go for it decisions. But I don't know if the public views it that sort of way. Again, I think they view it in a more of a linear fashion. You're closer to the end zone. That was right in that zone where your field goal percentage should be really, 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 really high. I know, you know, we got a doink on that in that situation, um, but you're not so close to the end zone. So it was, it was right in that area where your, your go for it probabilities actually go down when you're between the 30 and the, and the 20 yard line where people might not, not necessarily expect that. Got it. Okay. So then Sirianni on the next drive makes two, what I consider to be very straightforward decisions, fourth and five from the KC, fourth and five from the KC uh, 44, and then fourth and two from the KC eight in both chance, both times he goes for it. What, what were, were these 
I guess, where do you rank these versus that Andy Reid decision? Oh, they were both more obvious by the number or higher win probability gained by the number because of that exact thing I'm talking about. They were close enough to the end zone in one circumstance, and they were far enough out to make a field goal difficult in the other circumstance. So in both cases, they went for it. And this is when it became like clear that Sirianni was um, taking edges where it didn't seem like Andy Reid was taking edges, but it's, that was just my personal perception. So I have in my notes that it was sort of this underrated bad decision by Mahomes to rush to get a playoff before the two minute warning. I don't know if you remember this, Kevin, but he, he rushes to get a playoff in a situation. I think it was like second and five where they still had two minutes left. And I think two timeouts, my concern there was like, you're playing the possession game right now. And ultimately the worst thing you want is to give Philly another possession this this quarter because you're going to get a position possession to start the second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very interesting one because when I've talked to different people who are analytically inclined but have been in the NFL, they still very much believe in the don't give the other team a possession. Like that is the primary objective in these sorts of situations. So I can definitely see that. I guess for the fact that they were down a touchdown at that point, maybe I wouldn't really care necessarily about, about those, those sort of situations. I think it's, it's, it's probably right. You're probably right in that circumstance. And I think we'll talk about some other decisions later where um, people have a strong directional bias in one way or, or another as, as to what you can do. And it's probably right. But again, it's, it's closer to a coin flip than it is for um for the eagles to go for it on fourth and five at the kc44 like that that to me is just like as decisions go a more obvious decision yeah i mean i on this is very much on the margin right because you're talking literally about probably like potentially five seconds or something like that right yeah and and they got the first down so it kind of negated that but i know what you're saying yeah i mean as someone that had a lot of money in the chiefs i was very worried at that point that if they don't convert that, then all of a sudden now they're in a situation where they're third and whatever, you know, in a situation where they can't give the ball back and get down two scores. So that was like the the worst thing that I, that I thought could happen, which they ended up doing. Um, the, did you think, did you guys think Sirianni was too conservative at the end of the half, not running another play kind of like almost playing for a field goal at the end when he certainly had time to run another play into the end zone. I mean, I'll say no. Or... I'll say no to start. So. I thought it was okay. I, I think it's one of those things where no matter how much you coach a quarterback to not take a sack or coach him not to throw it in a certain direction where it could be in bounds and it runs out of time. Um I mean, instincts just kick in at a certain point where you don't necessarily trust them. So being that they were already up a touchdown at that point, I say no, but you could make either argument. Okay. Um, Then we go to the second half and fourth and six at the KC 15, um, the Eagles kick a field goal there. That's got to be the right move, right? Yeah. I mean, that one's, I mean, it's, it's close enough on the margins. I think, if it, it depends on how you want to build out um, 
the fourth and medium versus the fourth and short. I think Eagles are a better fourth and short team than a fourth and medium team. Maybe if it was the Chiefs, it would be a little bit more on the margins. But again, it's close enough to that area where there's just not a lot of room between converting and getting into the end zone with a compacted side of the field. So yeah, I, I think it's the right move to kick in in that circumstance. So I thought that was a mistake, right? And you, you're seeing a theme here for how I think about these fourth down decisions. But um, I'm like Brendan Staley in his first year coaching in the NFL. I, I again, if it's the, the difference is, to me here is that you aren't changing the number of scores that you need. You still need just a touchdown to go ahead. And going from three to six just doesn't seem like that big of a deal versus having that opportunity to go up two scores again and keep sort of that really positive game state that you've been able to keep um, all season and keep in this game. And to me, that was a huge turning point in the game. But, but it's interesting that left, the numbers Jack? essentially say, How much time was uh, left? There's a lot of time left. There's plenty in of the time third left. Quarter. Right. right. I mean, so it's not like this wasn't two minutes to go and you're kicking the field goal and go to go up six and the other teams incentivized just to only score the touchdown and you lose by one. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I guess like, what would the model do? You, can you run the model if there was say if it was in like with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, how different it would be? Yeah, I mean, it would be a lot different in that circumstance. And that goes into the, like, it's not necessarily better to be up three versus four in those type of circumstances. So, yeah, you're forcing a team to go for the touchdown versus go for the field goal. So that would be a different circumstance. But I do think it was early enough. And I don't know, this is another one that, to me, this is a margins. This is This is on the margins type of decision. I would be okay with either one, but I don't think you can really fault either one either. Can I ask how much win probability would have cost them if they went for it? Um, let me look it up on this exact circumstance here. I don't think it's a lot. I'm curious if it's more or less than that Andy Reid decision in the first half. That's a good call because it's probably close. I would... Um. Okay, so for this one... It's actually it, it would cost them more win probability than than Andy Reid would have gained. So how, how much? Uh, about one percent difference. One okay. percent more. Yeah. yeah, I mean one percent. <laughs> it's pretty small, uh, but yeah, but it, it, it's it's significant enough. Okay, and then um, fourth and three at down one. The Eagles. It's ten thirty three left in the fourth quarter. Um, the Eagles punt, and that was at like the 30 something, right? Their own, their own 30 something yard line, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the decision, like, this is the one. If you're going to point to it's not marginal, um, you can build a very strong narrative behind how it may have or you know cost them the game, and I think it's it's unintuitive, also, so it's not one where any coach would necessarily go for it, even in a more positive go for it type of atmosphere. So it, it enables teams to gain the most kind of relative win probability versus what other coaches would do. I mean, this was by the numbers, almost a no brainer to go for it. Uh, and, and I didn't really think about it enough at the time, quite honestly, um, until I ran the numbers and saw it. 
So I don't know what was going on internally with the Eagles because they should have these these sorts of numbers and know these sorts of things. But this was really the, in my opinion, kind of the worst decision of the game when it comes down to it um, because of the relative advantage and the stakes and everything that was involved with that much time left in the game. How how much of the the would would it have been different if they had been down say two or three at that time? Meaning like they give the ball up and even if the chiefs score likely they're only still down one score at that point. Right. Does that, how much does that influence it? The fact that like they would still probably be within a score. Not that, not as much as you might think. I mean, I know like we're doing the, like the one possession game where the one possession equals a touchdown and a two point conversion, which for, for most teams, maybe not for the Eagles, but for most teams cut your, cut your probability in half, having to add the two-point conversion to that also. Um, so it makes a little bit of a difference, but I think what's not appreciated in this circumstance is with 10 minutes and 33 seconds left, we kind of think about it as being a lot of time left, but the reality is the number of scenarios that play out with the Kansas City Chiefs getting one more possession than the Eagles because you're giving up possession by kicking it. So the, the scenarios that play off the play out with the Kansas City Chiefs having one more possession and a one-point lead are significant. And it's not just you know 10 possessions versus nine possessions like it would be early in the game. We're talking about two possessions versus one possession, three possessions versus two possessions. Those are huge differentials for how efficient you have to be on a possession by possession basis. And I think that's really the key. Like like 10 minutes and 33 seconds seems like a lot, but it's vastly different than something that happens at the beginning of the third quarter or in the first half or something like that. And it's really interesting because in this game, in this game, like there weren't that many possessions, right? There were, well, there were the Eagles had like eight minute possessions twice. Right? No, I, I, I mean, I understand <laughs> yeah. why it was, but the reality is there just weren't that many possessions. Like when you say the, the, you know, the chiefs scored on every one of their possessions in the second half, that sounds really impressive. I mean, it was really impressive, but it was only four possessions. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's interesting. Um, Okay. So the Chiefs go up 34-27. The human joystick has his amazing run back, his amazing run back. They don't go for two, which I was yelling at the screen for them to do. Right decision, wrong decision. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I guess my modeling says the right decision not to go for two. I've seen some, I think ESPN put out some numbers that you should go for two there. Uh to me, this is something where I think generally people are too overconfident or like like they either have overconfidence or they're just too vocal about these two-point decisions where the two-point decisions are almost all marginal decisions versus, again, like the, the this fourth and three that the Eagles had, this is almost a four and a half, five percent win probability decision that they gave up. Um, by not doing it, but no one really sees it that way. Whereas this two point, maybe you could gain half a percent. Maybe you could gain 1%. That's probably as far as you could go in either direction on this two pointer. That's fascinating. And that makes a lot of sense though. Now that I think about it, right? Because now you're talking about the difference between one or two points versus or zero or two points. So at most two points and the implications of a going for it can be way more than that in the, in the grand scheme of things, right? Is that kind of the the lens of why one is so bigger than the other? 
Yeah, yeah. That that's the lens, and just there's like a different win probability versus um, like the one point differential. So again, getting to eight points versus being at seven points forces the other team to make the two point conversion. I know maybe even prospectively you would have thought, well, the Eagles will get their two point conversion. I know in hindsight, we obviously know they got their, their two point conversion, but adding that that's not an, uh, that's not an insignificant point to add, to go from seven to eight points to force the other team to go for two and fail. Even if you're the best team in the NFL, you're going to fail 35, 40% of the time when you're trying to do that. Rufus, you were about to say something. Oh yeah. No, I was, I mean, I was, Curious how much Jeff, your thought on that was due to to Jalen Hurts, basically. Uh, I mean, it was a fair amount. Like I, I, I felt like I, I and and generally like Philadelphia's ability to get execute fourth and or short yardage situations, so two three yard situations. So and and I'm always a proponent that the opportunity to go up by two scores. Maybe I'm just you know like again, like I'm just too much of a barbarian as I think about this and don't have an ability to think the nuances, but that, that ability, what the way we just explained that around these two point plays, it actually helps me actually reframe my barbaric attitude towards, towards it. So, so I kind of like that. Well, here the other um, thing is a team that's down by eight oftentimes won't be rushing as much because they think of it as a one possession game. Whereas if you're down by nine, the defense is probably going to play it a little bit differently. And so, in a way you kind of have the edge lulling them into this. I don't want to say lulling them into a false sense of having more time when in reality, it's only like a 50% chance that it's a one possession game. That's I what, mean, that's I, what someone said to me too. I, or I read that. I don't know if you said that Kevin on, on, on Twitter, but someone said that the idea of not the knowledge of how many possessions you need versus um, the non-knowledge, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it, but, but I, I'll agree that if you are going to, build factors into your decision in this circumstance you want to look at not only your chance of making it um, but the opponent's chance of making it and both of them if you believe they are significantly higher than league average leans towards going for it in, in, in that circumstance because if you go for it you make it which and you make it in that circumstance you kind of take going for it for the other team off of the board. Like they don't necessarily want to go for it. I mean, maybe they can in that circumstance. Sometimes if they want to keep it within eight points on an additional touchdown for you. But if you don't make it, you definitely take the other teams going for it off of the board because they're just going to kick an extra point and, and tie the game. So I do think it's a little bit closer in that circumstance, but uh, people vastly underestimate the value of going from seven to eight points versus going from eight to nine points. They think of eight to nine points as the game's over. And they think of seven to eight points as it's still a one possession game where there, there there's more value in that than people think. Okay. They're kind of the same, right? It's like, you're going from one possession game to 50% chance of one possession game to two possession game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, yeah, there's, there's definitely some of that to that, but I mean, I also think like my whole thing is not risk aversion when it comes to these coaches. It's like regret aversion when it comes to a lot of these coaches. So I think it also that's part of it or people's feelings about this is if you don't go for two, you kick the extra point, they come back, they score a touchdown, they get the two point conversion. Like you're going to be like, oh, why didn't I just go for two on the other side? And you're really going to regret that more, whereas you're not going to regret going for two, failing the other team gets it back. 
kicks the extra point and you have a tie ball game, you're not really going to regret it there because you didn't have a failed or successful two point conversion for the other team. Like you don't know what happened in that circumstance. Yeah. You guys have convinced me. Um, what, what about the holding call one? I'm, oh, we don't need to talk about whether it was a holding call or not. That's the dumbest thing. What, what was the win probability change caused by that holding call? Meaning if it hadn't happened and it'd been incomplete, kick a field goal what would the odds have been yeah i mean and that's i mean this is a massive call i mean a massive call in in that circumstance um we're talking about i mean at least a 30 percent change in that because the game is basically over unless you you know run into the end zone on accident um i'd be interested to hear what your guys's opinion on this because i was having this discussion with ben baldwin on on my pod today about like how much do you think you can talk to defenders and tell them the worst case scenario here is a first down, right? Like a touchdown is better than a first down in this scenario. Um, Is that something you can actually impart upon players who, you know, are going to think like if you're a defensive back, you're going to think I'm just trying not to give up a catch. Like I don't really, I I can't really think about all these other sorts of things. So I think that's an interesting angle is, um, like a holding, if you grab a player's jersey, it's supposed to be an automatic holding call, whether it is or not. I don't know. Um, but just the fact that he did that, maybe he didn't quite understand the the relevance of having a first down versus even a touchdown in that circumstance. Probably. I mean, not. I think you said it right. Like you said the this when you we talked about the idea of like the second half, like at the end of the first half whether Sirianni was too conservative or not, right? Like you players are just instinctive, right? Yes. And their instinct in that time is to try to get a little edge by having a little like Jersey tug when he's doing an, a, a double move or an outcut. Right. And it's like, you can't, I, I, I think it's a fascinating thing, right? Like I, I was in, in Arizona this weekend and met one of like the top uh, agents of coaches in the NFL and, you know, he asked me if I would spend some time with some of his clients. And then I think I was thinking to myself, like, you know, what could you actually teach them that might help them on the margin or on the edge around some of these things? And that's a fascinating concept, which is, you know, the worst thing that you guys can do right now is, is exactly what you ended up doing, which is giving them an automatic first down touchdown, a uh, first down, you know, like an offsides probably isn't the end of the world or whatever, because it's just half the distance, but certainly that that is was the end of the world right yeah yeah i mean it's just really tough to figure out because i also think there becomes this thing where some people at least will comment they're like oh they should have told the player x it's like well maybe they actually did tell the player x and it just you know that they weren't able to 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 execute it because of the fact that um if they if they're thinking about this maybe their ability to give up a catch goes up by such a high percentage because they're 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 caught up thinking about it that it doesn't end up being a, a positive value sort of situation it reminds me of a of the situations like well let's think about the the chiefs in that situation do you think andy reed's telling his players you know if if you get the first down go down like don't run into the end zone cuz i mean i think to, he is yeah I think he is. I hope he is. I mean, I mean, Greg Olson knew, so I hope he is. Although that I think I would even, play. they had time to think through. about it. At that point, you're like, we need to get the first down. We have to execute, but then stop executing at a certain point. True. True. Although I, I saw, you know, a, a bunch of different people, at least on Twitter 
saying they should have let the Chiefs score before that from from second and eight, which I didn't agree with. I didn't agree with letting them score on second and eight, but there were some people after the two minute warning, even saying, even saying that. So maybe there would have been someone saying that. I don't know what the communication line is on the chiefs, but um, yeah. If I I was, if I was the Eagles, I would have wanted them to score there to be honest. So it's too close to me. I don't know. I feel like there was too much of a, um, an acceptance that they were going to score a touchdown in in that situation. Maybe I would have let it go one more play at least. But isn't isn't the issue really what you've already said, which is that the worst thing that can happen is for them to get a first down and not a touchdown. So anytime you leave yourself open for that opportunity, you're actually potentially giving yourself a negative expected value in any play that's run that you allow to run almost like. Yeah, yeah. I think even so, like that's another part that comes into it. Like if you say we're going to give up the touchdown – that also means you're going to give up the first down and not the touchdown if the other team is smart enough to not take it. But wait, on second down, it would have been a completely different thing. Meaning right? what? Well, I'm so, just saying well, if they would have given up the well, touchdown the on time. second down, they, they still could have gotten the first down and slid down. And at that point, there would have been two timeouts left. So yeah, there would have how, been a little bit How much bit could different. they have run it down to that point? Well, they could have run it off another 45 seconds or so. So it would have gotten, it would have gotten under a minute, I guess. Yeah. Under a minute and only needing field goal range. Well, they would eventually would have okay. scored the touchdown probably. That, I mean, they would have more oh, downs. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so that, that's the problem. Yeah. Okay. Here, so here's the last one on this and then, and then we can get into some macro conversation and then we can, we can get out of here. Um, in terms of the like decision to let them score. So I talked to someone today who is, a, was, owned a owned a football team for a little while and and is knowledgeable it was interesting as he was saying that he would have much rather is he knowledgeable whatever he's a he's it's like less knowledgeable than someone who doesn't own a football team fewer knowledgeable knowledgeable. snyder knows the right decisions to make i'm not so so, sure about that sorry so that was just a flex anyway so if you go back to this idea of um this letting them score what is the number of what is the amount of time? So clearly in this situation, not scoring and kicking a field goal was the right decision because they're only getting like 11 seconds or whatever it was, right? They're not getting very much time. What is that number of time that you would hand over to them where you guys would like say, no, you should score a touchdown. Meaning like, if you know that you're gonna hand them 45 seconds and only a field goal. If you know you're going to hand them 25 seconds, and you, you understand the question, so like, yeah it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about because you know we we were close to this being on the margin, right? Like this was definitely outside of the margin, but like maybe 15 seconds more, and it's not on the margin anymore. Yeah, that's a that's that's an interesting question. Um, I'm trying to think of like there's a somewhat, I mean, not analogous, completely analogous situation, but the one thing you think about is. Um, if you score a touchdown at the very end and you can tie it with a, with a PAT or you can win it with a two point conversion, when do you do that? Right. Um, because it's, it's somewhat similar in that you motivate the other team to, 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 to go for it, um, versus, so I don't know. Wait, I never get that when, when teams go for it with like 50 seconds to go, I'm like, that's so dumb. Yeah. It's too much. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It depends on the team, but like the the equilibrium point is probably like 20 something seconds, maybe in that circumstance. I'm trying to think of, but in this circumstance, 
Yeah, I mean, they only need a field goal there. I don't know. I mean, I feel like if there was anything more than 25 seconds, I would want to, you know, just try to push for the touchdown even earlier, if if possible. If there's going to be more than that much time left and you're only up by three, I wouldn't wind it down. I would just go for go for the touchdown. That's probably about the the tipping point on being able to get a field goal. Okay. Um, do you guys think that Sirianni's like clear analytics, like play calling and just the way he thinks about things. So like second and one, he's almost always doing some sort of play action pass third and short. He's willing to run, check things down. Is that becoming like almost too predictable or is it so optimal that it doesn't really matter if it's predictable because ultimately like it's the right thing to do because you are putting your team in like the most, you know, advantageous, advantageous positions. Um, I mean, I'll say it's, I don't really think it's close to being any sort of predictability loss on expected value only because, and this is this is when it comes down to a lot of the like pass versus run discussion, play action discussion, all those sorts of things. Like as long as there's a credible threat that you'll do something else, um, teams have to respect it. Like they can't just ignore the other sort of thing that you would do. So you say second and one, maybe like, I don't know if a team can just ignore the fact that you might run the ball and pick up, you know, 15 yards or something like that on that type of play and just say they're going to play the pass. So I don't think so. I don't think it's it's close to that sort of circumstance. Um, but I don't know. That, that That's what I would say. Riff, you have any thoughts on that? It's kind of a dumb question, so maybe we can move on from that. It, it seemed more interesting to me during the game when I was kind of watching it all transpire. I was like, oh, this is like weird game theory where you kind of know what he's going to do because he's so optimal that he's always doing the most optimal thing. Well, yeah, he's, not, he's not, I mean, as long as Kyle Shanahan is still running quarterback sneaks on second. A second and one that With I think I think quarterback that you would like to give like a chance to win the game, but maybe you don't that, really that, that I think I think we're okay, but I don't know. I, I I mean it's interesting. It's interesting to think about. Uh Roof, you have anything else on this? I had something else, but I forgot what it was as I was as we were weaving through this discussion. Not really. Else you to... Um you think there do you think that this Super Bowl will impact coaches in their decisions to go for fourth downs, or do you think this is much ado about nothing and there's still like a subset that won't and a subset that will? Um, I mean, I think it helps. I think generally it helps the Eagles getting there. Um, I think the discussion around it helps. I think having, I mean, weird things like having Greg Olson be the color commentator who's one of the more friendly. Um, voices when it comes to those sorts of decisions, who's not gasping in horror when these things are going on probably helps to to some degree. And I also think we're we're just getting a lot of evidence when it comes to either GM hires who are generally younger or coaching hires. And we have two different Eagles coordinators now uh, becoming head coaches that it's going to be a little bit more of their part of, of their DNA. I mean, they're, they're part of these meetings with the research analysts and other people talking about these things. Um, supposedly, even in the Colts interview, they had um, one of the analytics guys over there, George, uh, George Lai, come in there and tell them 
you know, go through scenarios with them and what they thought about it and different things like that. So I think it's just becoming more and more a part of the conversation. And we're, and this only helps to have the Eagles probably, you know, a top two at worst team as far as their research capacity and how they're doing things, make it to the Super Bowl without having that, you know, generational prospect type of quarterback leading the way. Well, he seems pretty good. Seems good. Second round pick, though. If we get there with the second round pick, I think that helps. Wasn't Tom Brady? Uh, he wasn't a first round pick, was he? Does anyone know? No, Bill Polian wanted to take him in the first round, though, but they already had of Peyton course, Manning at that point. Of course so, he does. Yeah. yeah. Bill Polian. Yeah. Never, never, never wrong. Uh, we won't ask you the questions. We'll have you on some other time to ask you the questions. Cause I know Rufus has got to get to his dinner. Um, and then with we, important we have, people, like, a little bit important people are at with important dinner, people. So way more important dinner. than us. 5 30 PM dinner, but, uh, Kevin, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, you, where can people enjoy your work? Yeah. I mean, on Twitter, uh, at Kevin Cole, uh, the dreaded triple underscore after Kevin Cole on there. Uh, I haven't decided what to fill that in with. And then uh, Substack, unexpectedpoints.substack.com, podcast, research. You know, the offseason is like my favorite thing, probably. It's probably the most impactful thing when it comes to team building. So I'm excited about the free agency and draft research that's coming up this uh, this, this summer. You beware, you might get seven new followers. So. Good luck with that. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll give you credit. I'll give you credit. I'll, I'll kick back the commission to you guys. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for coming. Thanks. So that was our conversation with Kevin Cole, which was exciting. Um, Rufus actually said, I think off air, that it wasn't as shitty as he thought it would be, which is the most complimentary thing. He said, well, no, that was, it wasn't I, I as bad. It was much more interesting the way that Jeff, it, the way that Jeff, I, the way that Jeff laid out the topic. I didn't think it was going to be interesting, but it was. That's okay. essentially what you said. That's exactly what I said. Um, what was the highlight of that conversation for you? What did you find the most interesting? I thought the fourth quarter stuff was the most interesting. Um, the going for two and um, and the sort of how bad that Eagles punt was late, which I hadn't even really thought about at the time. But the way he framed it in terms of possessions and the scarcity of possessions left, it actually is a lot more harmful. Uh, I didn't mention this on the, in the interview, but like one of the things that I actually like realize, well, in talking to someone today about this whole, like Darius Tony and those goal line plays, the way that Andy Reed used Darius Tony in that game was incredibly surgically precise and brilliant because he didn't, I don't know if you saw people on Twitter, like pointing out that he was not getting any offensive snaps. I was a big and, fan of this. And they, they, but they, when they put him, they put him in, in a situation, I think that made the Eagles hyper aware of the idea of a jet sweep, like to the point where they were like, okay, jet sweep, jet sweep. And the minute he starts moving, they're like, oh, jet sweep. We've seen this on film. We know what's happening. We're going to react with this rolling the safeties thing. Well, and, and the then... same thing with Sky Moore, because Sky Moore is used in that fashion as well. And yeah, he had the was, same, it was he had just, to touch on the same was, play. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. And like, it was, it was honestly like that, those two plays getting those, like, cause those are very high leverage plays. Obviously they were both third down plays that you ended up with basically like wide open walk-in touchdowns and it's insane. Um, do we want to give, do we have any golf or something? We need to give these guys some picks before we, before we send them off on our way. I, I can I, find I a know. golf thing to give. I'm sure. 
Did golf golf worked out really well for you? I assume it did. Last week? It did everything worked out really well for me last week? It was. You guys never like Scheffler though, so it surprises me. By the way, no, we, we, I we, went we, to the Waste Management Open, week. and it is one of the greatest experiences that anyone has ever had. If you have a chance to go to the Waste Management Open in Phoenix, do it, do it, do it, because it is, it is, it was great. Awesome. I've only been on a practice day, so. Yeah. Um. I'll give you don't have ROM this week though. I've noticed. I do not. How do you know? Just because you've you've seen the line hasn't moved. Yes. I looked at it last night and looked at it today and I assumed like you didn't have them because he didn't move at all. He actually moved, I think up a little bit, which is rare. Yeah. So you must've bet some outrights that weren't him. Um, not many. I'll, I'll say I, I bet Patrick Rogers at 150 to one. He's nice. I love him all the time. And then continuing a trend, also Bo Hostler again. It's let's see, you can get him anywhere between 125 and 150 to one right now. And I have both those guys right around 100 to one true odds. So it's very likely that the pick I'm, picks I'm giving are not going to win, just so you know. Yeah. If they do win, you'll be rolling in it. Mm-hmm. So um, what do you, what do you, what are you, what is that? Those are your picks? Those are my picks. Okay. I got to do give a Denny McCarthy special, maybe. We, we, we never talked about how our, our random golf bets made the ones we made the other day. Oh, yeah. You, you had Denny McCarthy, and he got second or third. And I had yeah. I had Kevin, Kevin Yu, Yu, and he got seventh. And he was like yeah. 150 to one or higher. Um, Pat I was, ourselves in I, the back. I like I'm gonna I'm just gonna take Rom this week. What do you make Rom this week? Uh plus nine ninety-nine. Hmm. What Literally do you make Rory? Is. Uh plus ten seventy-five. Okay, Rom's and then what do favorite. you what do you make Colin Morikawa? Because I know you never like Colin, but what do you like? What do you make? Uh Colin? plus fifty-five ninety-four. Interesting. All right. I'll take Rombo at plus eight seventy-five. That's what I see on Chris. Um, and hopefully we have a, a Rombo weekend. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week where we will hopefully officially become a golf podcast again and talk a lot of golf. I think we're going to have some cool golf guests on in the near future. So we'll talk to you all as, guys all again next week. The numbers in the simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a of leaded.